0: Good morning, church. We're excited to be with you today, and I pray that your hearts are going to be encouraged as we continue to talk about what really is the foundation of our hope, which is this truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is reigning on His throne even now, and that gives us reason for great hope great joy. You know, I, I wanted to share with you a structure that I think is very, very important as we talk about the kingdom of God, and that's simply this structure right here. We have creation, we have the fall, and we have redemption. And a lot of people, when they look at the topic of the kingdom of God, they look to a future date uh, only, that the kingdom has not really come and that uh, uh, we're just living in a fallen world right now and that someday, someday Jesus is going to rescue us. But that denies the truth that the kingdom has already been inaugurated with Christ, that His death and burial and resurrection and His powerful ascension to the Father's right hand set the stage for the experience of the kingdom that's happening right now. And so I want you to know, between creation, God's perfect world, and between redemption, God's restoration of the perfect, we're living in the time of the fall. We're living in a season of brokenness. And so uh, everything needs to be viewed and understand that we're experiencing what theologians have referred to as the already, but the not yet. Yet. In other words, Christ's kingdom has broken through into this dark, fallen world, uh, but it's not come yet in its fullness. And so I think the key word there is fullness. And so we find ourselves living... And what is really unfinished business, we find ourselves in a battle zone where let's take beauty, for instance, we see beauty all around us, but we see a beauty that's been twisted and disfigured and been marred by sin and brokenness. And so it's, a, it's unfinished business. It's a it's a battleground where we're fighting uh, for this planet. Jesus has already declared that he reigns and that his victory is sure. But in the meantime, we find ourselves living in kind of an in-between place. But here's the good news is everywhere Christians go and everywhere we bring the kingdom of God, we bring beauty. We bring transformation. We lift people up. We beautify uh, the planet through the good news of Jesus Christ. Take, for instance, what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3. To all who mourn in Israel, this is what God plans and promises. He's going to give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A glorious, beautiful crown instead of just ashes and dust, all right? Secondly, he's going to bring joyous blessing into our lives instead of mourning. Everywhere the gospel goes, it communicates good news through God's people and we get rid of that spirit of heaviness off of our lives and we bring blessing instead. What a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel. And lastly, the Bible promises us festive praise instead of despair. Isn't that good? You know, we don't, we're not people that are living under despair, depression, gloom, doom. Everywhere we go, we're prisoners of hope, and we bring the good news through festive praise. In the midst of the worst times, we are people of praise. That is a picture of the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. That's what we bring. We change things. In fact, one of our four vision points here, I think it's down here at the bottom of my belly looking up at me here, is reforming culture. Here's what we believe. Reformed or redeemed people are about redeeming culture. Reform people, reform culture. That's who we are as God's people. That's who we are as living stones. You know, I wanted to ask you all this morning, uh, what do you consider to be beautiful? You know, some of you helped me out on Facebook, and I asked this question, what do you personally consider beautiful. And we got a bunch of great responses. I want to thank everybody for helping me out and helping me preach the sermon today. But I want to ask that question to you personally. What do you find beauty in? What bring, what inspires you? You know, many of the people talked about things in nature, and that's that's a common one. You might love the beaches or the mountains, or you might be absolutely invigorated by looking at uh, the beautiful sunset or sunrise some people talked about the changing of the seasons. You know, right now we're in one of my favorite seasons. I love springtime because all the dreariness and drabness of winter is now giving way to the brightness and beauty of springtime. I love it. I love the flowers. I love all the trees that are starting to bud and, and blossom right now. Uh, so nature is a big one. Uh, second thing that people really, really loved was people. Obviously, people made in the image and likeness of God inspire us. We see beauty in our children. We see beauty in our grandchildren. We see beauty in our spouses. In fact, I want to give special Living Stones uh, credit today to Tim Vassar. He said, my wife is beautiful. Uh, hey, that's marriage class material right there. And, I, and that should be the case. We find beauty in acts of kindness. You know, right now during this, this virus going around, there's so many opportunities that people have. To demonstrate courageous, heroic acts of love and kindness towards other people. And we especially want to thank all of our frontline workers, especially our healthcare providers, our nurses that are watching. Thank you guys. You're, you're beautiful and you inspire us uh, by your acts of kindness. You know, sometimes I had one comment that I thought was really, really funny. Uh, and it was simply this. Some people get inspired by food. Come on, you know who you are. When you see really great food put before you, it inspires you. In fact, one of my pastor friends who responded to my Facebook question, the first guy to respond, he said, tacos are beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, I think they're pretty beautiful myself. But anyway, you, whatever it is, we all understand uh, intuitively that something is beautiful. We get inspired by beauty. We get drawn to beauty. Whatever comes to your mind, though, as it relates to beauty, I want to encourage you this morning to do something. You know, beauty is meant to cause us to go upstream. In other words, you take the stream back to its source. You take the stream back to the to the foundation place, and, and God created beauty in the earth because he wanted us to trace that beauty back to the source, and that source of beauty is God Almighty himself. That beauty is personal. Beauty is a being named God. I love C.S. Lewis's quote here because he really captures the point I'm trying to make. C.S. Lewis says this, "'It was when I was happiest that I longed the most.'" He said, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. In other words, when he saw something beautiful in the earth, there was a longing to trace that back to its source and to figure out where that came from. And of course, just by sheer the sheer power of his mind and understanding and logic and reasoning, he was able to deduce the fact that there must be a God who himself is the epitome Of beauty, And we know from the scriptures that that's exactly the case. Some have argued that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, that beauty is a matter of personal taste, that we don't all agree on what's beautiful. But that's what you get. That's the kind of answer that you get when you reject the absolute beauty of God Almighty. Everything's subjective. Everything's a matter of of personal taste. That's why you can go to the art museum and you can go to modern art and find a crucifix submerged in a bucket of urine. And somebody considered that to be a masterpiece because beauty is subjective and beauty's in the eye of the beholder, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not a Christian worldview at all. That's a depressing worldview because beauty is not relativistic, beauty is not subjective, beauty is objective. It's definable and actually it goes back to a person, and his name is God Almighty. And when we look at Jesus, we look into the face of Jesus, who is God, we see a picture of what a beautiful life looks like. You see, a Christian understanding of beauty goes back to the perfection of God. You know, when we did the series on I Am Puny, we focused on the some of the attributes of God. And this is what makes God so beautiful. God's beauty is the the sum of His perfections. It's all of His characters, all, all of His attributes that come together in perfect balance. You know, if, if we talk on the human level, we could say, uh, you know, I really like so-and-so. They they really have this particular quality that's admirable. We could highlight certain strengths, but how many of you know we all, because we're fallen, for every one strength we have, we have a weakness. In fact, many strengths are taken to an extreme, and there's a weakness on the other side of that strength. But how many of you know with God, that's not the truth? With God, He is a perfect balance of all of the attributes mixed together in perfect harmony and perfect beauty without imperfection, that's what makes God so glorious and so beautiful, is the way that his attributes come together and shine like a multifaceted diamond. In fact, Wayne Grudem, who's one of my favorite theologians to read, he says this, God's beauty is that attribute whereby the sum of all of His desirable qualities come together in perfection. I love that definition. God Himself is the original pattern for beauty. In other words, if we want to know how to describe or how to define or how to recognize beauty in this earthly realm, we go to the template, we go to the pattern, we go to the standard, and that standard of beauty is God. You know, in other words, take, let's just take some of the attributes of God, say His wisdom, God's wisdom is beautiful wisdom. In other words, once his wisdom plays out, we stand in awe and we go, wow, God, you are so smart. Your wisdom is so beautiful. Or how about this? What about the power of God? Some people in the earthly realm uh, use power in a way that's nothing uh, beautiful about it. It's, it's wicked. And yet God, when he displays his power, he displays it in a way that's it's beautiful power. Or how about this one, justice? We talked about it last week. We live in a broken world where justice sometimes is hard to be found. But God's justice is always displayed in a beautiful, beautiful way. And lastly, how about love? You know, there's lots of definitions of love today. And some of them are so twisted and so perverted and so selfish. But when God demonstrates his love for us, it's a beautiful love. It's a love that's demonstrated in sacrifice and the giving of His Son to die for us and in a million other ways. But there's one thing that's always true about the love of God. It's always beautiful. You know, throughout the Bible, when you look in the Old Testament in particular, you won't find much discussion on beauty. You find, If you do a word search, you find it pop up here and there. But the word that you do find that is so important in helping us understand the beauty of God is the word glory. You've all read that in the Bible, the glory of God, the glorious God. Uh, That word glory captures the essence of the greatness of God's being all wrapped up into one, the glory of the Lord. Beauty is so inherent to God that it's reflected in everything that He does. And everything that God does is a display. It's It's for the purpose of displaying the greatness of His glory. Now, one of the ways, and some of you already touched on this when I asked you about where you find beauty, you already hit the nail on the head. One of the demonstrations of the beauty of God, the glory of God, is the fact that God chose to take his glory and to go public with it. And that's what we call in the Bible creation. The created world shouts and screams the glory of the Lord. In fact, look on the screen with me to Psalm 19, verse 1. It says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And the skies display His craftsmanship. Isn't that beautiful? You get this idea that God, by the sheer uh, might of His spoken word, His beautiful power, God speaks and into existence pop all these wonderful material things that we can see and experience and touch and taste and smell and hear uh, with our senses. Uh, the beauty of God displayed, creation shouting out his praise, saying ah, there is a God and he is beautiful. In fact, you look at his workmanship and the Bible says about his workmanship, his craftsmanship that is on display all around us. That's the beauty of God uh, gone public. In fact, in the Genesis account, what did God say about every act of his creation? He ended it with, it is good. Or in the Hebrew, that word good can equally be translated beautiful. So when God creates, what He says after that creation is, wow, this is beautiful. Why? Because everything God does comes out of who He is, and He is absolutely beautiful. That's our God. Right at the very beginning of Scripture, when God creates the heavens and the earth, in the Bible, the Greek word that is used there is the word cosmos. Cosmos is not randomness. It's not the modern evolutionary uh, view uh, of creation. Uh, it is. It speaks of orderliness. It speaks of adornment. You know, when you look at the skies, it's not random chaos happening over our heads. What we find is that every planet moves according to order and laws. The universe is this beautiful uh, unfolding of, of order and design and beauty that is happening every single moment that we're alive and we look up at the heavens. Uh, and we're only experiencing a tiny, tiny fraction of of the glory and greatness of God that exists in the cosmos. In fact, that word cosmos means an ordered arrangement of things. It's a combination of order and adornment, of of structure and design and beauty. God is the perfect architect. He is the foundation of what architecture is. In fact, the As creatures made in God's image, this is important because we're made to be like God. We have an intrinsic, built-in appreciation for beauty. Our attraction to beauty is something that God has ordained and put inside each of us. Our capacity to enjoy and to experience beauty is a privilege that God has given to human beings alone. Think about the created realm for a moment. You know, this this time of year we have all kinds of Canadian geese that end up landing in the field here at Livingstones Church. Now, I look out at my window uh, when the sun is setting and the sky is gorgeous and there's all kinds of beautiful colors being painted. Never once have I seen those Canadian geese all oh, stop stand at attention and look into the sunset and say, what a spectacular sunset tonight. No, they don't even notice. They're honking away. They're eating the grass or whatever. They're going about their business. I've never seen my dog stop at the Grand Canyon and just be in awe of this giant hole in the ground. Now he's sniffing around and he's marking his spot and all he's doing stuff that dogs do. I've never seen a goldfish pause and recognize, you know, the beauty of of of, of a Mozart, you know, uh, uh composed piece of art or something like that. That you know, classical music, they don't go, "Wow, isn't this beautiful?" Your goldfish don't do that because guess what? They don't share the image of God in the way that God has created you and me. So it's a privilege for us to be able to be drawn to beauty and to savor beauty and to enjoy beauty because that's something that we share with God himself as his creation. You know, the philosophers and theologians of old came up with a description of God's character that basically what I call was a trinity of transcendentals, all right? A trinity of transcendentals. Of course, trinity means three. When we talk about transcendentals, we're talking about things that transcend uh, this culture and this world, things that are objective, things that are timeless, things that are eternal. And that trinity of transcendentals that they use to describe the perfection of God were these three right here. Goodness, number one, truth, number two, and beauty, number three, those three words described uh the, the essence of the greatness and the glory of God. Goodness and truth and beauty. In other words, from a Christian worldview perspective, when we talk about beauty, what we're talking about is also something that is equally good and equally true. Now, let me highlight this point uh from scripture there's a number of places where you see some of the attributes of God mixed together like that uh, for instance Zechariah chapter 9 verse 17 it says this for how great is his goodness talking about God how great is his beauty notice things that are good are also beautiful things that are beautiful are always good. You cannot separate or divorce them. In fact, uh, it's a contradiction of Scripture and it is a twisting and perverting of the character of God to call something beautiful that is not good, or to call something true that is not beautiful, or to call something real that is not true. In other words, those three transcendentals are always moving in perfect harmony to display the beauty and the greatness of God. The Bible says this in Psalm 90, I'm sorry, sorry, Psalm 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. God's dwelling place is a place where beauty is personified. And out of that place of perfect beauty, God's glory shines forth. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I like Psalm uh, 96, verse 6. It says this, Splendor and majesty are before him and strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Isn't that an amazing play, uh, picture? If you ask, well, where does God hang out? Where does the place where he dwells? God dwells in a place of strength and a place of beauty. Uh, that is where he lives. Isn't that awesome? This is why David Love spending time in the presence of God. David said this in Psalm 27, verse 4, and this is probably one of your favorite verses. You can quote it by memory. I love this verse as well. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and one thing I'm going to seek after. And this was the one thing that captivated the heart of this great man of God. This is what he said, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that place of strength, that place of beauty, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. David was captivated by beauty. Of course, he wrote songs. He was also a man of strength. He was a man of war. He was a man of creation and design and development and beauty and all those things that marked his life. He was the perfect poet warrior. And yet the thing that captivated the heart of David more than anything was the presence of the beautiful one, God Almighty. David loved to come into the temple. He loved to sing. He loved to worship. He loved to spend time in the presence of God. That beauty of God, the beauty of his character, the glory of his presence so captivated David that he was drawn into the sanctuary and not just to gaze, but to ask God questions, to be uh, to be in his midst, to seek his wisdom. David was a man after God's own heart. And as a man after God's heart, he was drawn to beauty. And you and I should be too. Here's the problem. I told you, we're living between the creation and the final complete redemption. And we're living in a broken world where every square inch of this planet is contested by Satan. And so here's where we find ourselves. The world is beautiful, but not fully. It's a world of mixture. Human rebellion has brought disfigurement all across planet earth. What is beautiful to the eyes, the Bible teaches us, is not always true. Remember I talked about those transcendental values, the the holy trinity of transcendentals. Let me, let me give you an example. Satan's always trying to separate that Trinity, all right, as it relates to our uh, our living before God in a way that honors the Lord. When you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we find an attack really on the beauty of God. Uh, Satan separates, first of all, he seeks to separate beauty from truth. Remember when he presented the fruit before Eve, uh, he showed her that it was beautiful. And you know what? Beauty attracts us. But here's the problem. He also, the Bible also says it looked good. It was appealing to the eye. Uh, And so Eve, because she's made in the image and likeness of God, she's drawn to beauty. She's attracted by it because it looks good. But we also know that Satan began to separate beauty from truth and beauty from goodness. In other words, he was saying, look, Eve, it's beautiful. Look, Eve, it's good. But then he's introduced the lie. He said, if you will eat of this fruit, You will be wise. It will make you smart. In fact, it will make you like God. Don't listen to God. What he's telling you is not true. If you eat of this fruit, you won't die. What was the demonic lie? It was to take what was beautiful and what was good. And to separate it from what is true, Satan's a master at this. How many times do we watch a? a for instance, we try. It's hard to find anymore a, a love story that's actually rooted in righteousness or in true beauty. Sometimes people say, "Oh, that was such a beautiful love story," but really was it? In the movie, the the love was really lust. The the love was sexual. The love was not rooted in marriage or in covenant. It was rooted in perversion and lust. And people say, oh, that was such a good movie. This is why nobody likes to watch movies with me, because I look at what is the movie really teaching? And let me just tell you this. Any movie that seeks to make something beautiful that isn't good and isn't true is a movie that is communicating a demonic message about the glory of God. You see, you cannot separate those things, but we live in a world where true goodness and truth is always uh, uh, made uh, to, to be separated from what we consider to be beautiful. And thus, here's what happens. The first thing, this is a beautiful picture for us, the first thing that Eve realized after she ate of that fruit that looked good and tasted good, but was not what God's will was for her life, the Bible says she realized She was naked. We're living in a world today when people who live according to their own dictates, according to the rebellion of their hearts, are living lives naked before God. We've been stripped of our glory. We've been stripped of the, a world of true beauty and true goodness. And we're living now naked before God. And that is, an, I'm speaking morally, uh, not physically, but morally naked and guilty before God. The beauty that God intends for us to enjoy, we're missing out on because we have separated this holy trinity of transcendental values. And so what do we have? We have a A cursed earth. You know, we love to work in our yard, but guess what? I love the flowers. I hate the weeds. I love the beauty of my garden. I hate the work that it takes to get it there, the sweat on our brow. I love my wife and I love my children, but you know what? My wife can say a big amen to this. Those kids sure were a lot of pain going through that pregnancy to deliver these babies. Because as a result of the curse, the beauty of procreation, the beauty of multiple generations has been marred by the pain of of sin and the curse of sin. Now we have stretch marks. Now we have inconvenience. Now we have morning sickness. We have a whole lot of things that God never intended for us to have because we separated beauty from truth. And the consequences are always tragic. I heard a great quote. It said this, heaven knows no ugliness and hell knows no beauty. Think about that for a minute. Hell will be a place where nothing is beautiful. What a disaster. And heaven will be a place where everything is gorgeous and spectacular. That's the hope that we have before us. So beauty is in crisis right now because we worship the created things instead of the creator. You know, we just had Earth Day, which I kind of do an eye roll on that because, you know, we really shouldn't call it Earth Day. We should call it Beautiful God, Creator of Heaven and Earth Day. And we sh- it should be a day of corporate worship, not a day when we go out and hug a tree. But you know what? We, we live in a world today where people have got it all wrong. Even the whole climate change hysteria is rooted in a Bad, uh, perverted view of creation and stewardship. We're called to love God, the author of beauty. Every sunset, every flower, every changing of the seasons, all the fall colors and the leaves, all the beautiful bulbs popping on the ground should inspire us to pause and to worship God and to say, "You are awesome." This flower is is mind blowing, but you're the God who created it. So, what must you be like? We should be showcasing the glory of the Lord. Instead, we find a created realm. Romans 8 says groaning, groaning under the curse that is yet to be lifted from planet earth. It's why we have tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and all the the natural uh, disasters that are taking place in the world today because this earth is groaning. But here is the good news. Fyodor Dostoevsky in his book, The Brothers... uh, Karas Okay. Well, forget them. Forget my, uh, my Russian there. You understand. It's a classic. Read it sometime. Um, uh, he said this. Beauty is the battlefield where God and Satan contend with each other for the hearts of men. I'll say that again. Beauty is a battlefield where God and Satan contend with each other for the hearts of men. That's where we find ourselves right now. Satan and God in, 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 in a warfare to pursue the hearts of people, and what are we trying to do? We're trying to woo people over by a superior beauty. What we're saying is the Christian life, the God-filled life, creates more beauty, more pleasure, more satisfaction than this counterfeit life that Satan is pushing on people. It's a counterfeit beauty. But I want you to notice what the bait is, is beauty. People are always attracted to what is beautiful and good and true. Uh, and we're basically trying to say this, the superiority of Jesus and the Christian worldview uh, is so much more superior uh, than Satan and what he has to offer. It's no wonder that the Bible says that those who spread the good news, uh, that He calls them, he calls their feet beautiful feet. In other words, when we go about sharing the good news of Jesus, our feet are beautiful feet. We want to have beautiful feet. So let me end with this. I hope I've inspired you to pursue true beauty, and to take that beauty all the way back to its source, which is God himself. But let me give you some hope, because folks, this is the good news. Jesus is coming in the fullness of his kingdom, and this whole place, which we now have glimpses of beauty. We all have our favorite vacation spots, for instance, where we go and we're inspired by beauty, but how many of you realize the beauty that we enjoy is still such a limited beauty? It's a deformed beauty. We are getting ready to move into a realm that is going to be breathtakingly gorgeous everywhere forever. And the Bible begins to unveil that picture for us, you know, at the end of the story. Thank God we, we moved from Genesis, uh, the perfect creation to the fall and all the mess in between. But thank God for the book of Revelation and thank God for the glimpse that we have been given. As to what is coming. I want to read for you uh, there in Revelation. Go, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21. And I want to read the first five verses together. It says this. This is a picture that John was given by the Holy Spirit. He says, Then I saw new, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. And look at verse 5. This is something to celebrate. He who is seated on the throne, Jesus Christ, our reigning king. This is what Jesus Christ says to us today. Behold, in other words, pay attention. Look, everybody see. Here's what's happening. I am making all things new. That's the incredible promise, the hope-filled promise that we have even right now. God is going to bring heaven and bring them to earth and they're going to combine we're going to be living on a glorified planet god's not going to destroy planet earth he's going to redeem planet earth the reason you have a glorified body is because you're going to put it to use bodies are material things we're going to be this beautiful mix of spirit and of matter of the physical and the spiritual mixed together in one new body that god is going to resurrect We're going to eat food. We're going to enjoy the beauty of this planet. We're going to create. We're going to enjoy each other. Uh, We're going to enjoy this cosmos in a way that up to this point we've never been able to see or never been able to understand or ever been able to fully experience. God himself will be coming to dwell among his people. Jesus Christ has a glorified body that he will be wearing throughout eternity. And we're going to be able to see him and touch him and experience him and enjoy him uh, forever and ever and ever. This planet will be, will be transformed into even greater glory than the original creation. And we're going to enjoy the Lord and his beauty. And we're going to enjoy His creation and each other in a way that has been unprecedented and unparalleled. It's going to be spectacular. It's beyond what we even can imagine or think because it's in a realm that we've never been able to experience. But can I just whet your appetite? If you take your greatest view of beauty on this earth and magnify it uh, to the nth degree, you'll finally get a a little bit of a flavor of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. It's going to be spectacular. You know, He alone, God Himself, is our all-satisfying object of beauty. He is what we long for. He is what we yearn for. Everything that we enjoy is just part of what He created out of His goodness and out of His mercy for us to enjoy. But He is the all-satisfying object of beauty. He is the only one vision that will be sufficient for the insatiable yearning in our hearts. In other words, the thing that you long for most in life, the happiness, the joy, the beauty that we're all trying to pursue together is going to be found in this one all-satisfying object of, of beauty, and that's God Almighty. He says, we're not going to cry anymore. He's going to wipe tears from our eyes. No more suffering, no more pain, no more virus, no more disease, no more traumatic events where the earth is groaning and shaking. All of that is going to be lifted and gone forever. And one more great quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it really captures the essence of what I've been trying to get across today. C.S. Lewis said this, we do not want merely to see beauty though God knows even that is bounty enough. Just seeing it is bounty and treasure enough. But we want something else which we can hardly put into words. We want to be united with the beauty that we see. We want to pass into it. We want to receive it into ourselves. We want to bathe in it. We want to become part of it. In other words, when like, like when you see a beautiful ocean with crystal clear water, uh, it, you're not satisfied to stay in the boat. You want to jump into that water. You want to be immersed by that water. You want to experience the beauty. You want to go underneath. You want to see the created realm that's right beneath you. That's the beauty we long for, not just to see it from a distance, but to experience, to be one with that beauty. And that's the promise of eternal life, to know Jesus Christ, to know the Father, to know Him in a way where there'd be nothing separating us, no sin, no selfishness, nothing separating us from fully enjoying absolute beauty forever and ever and ever. That's the best I can do this morning to describe the glory that awaits us as people of God. You know, I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to get in touch with the longings of your heart. You want to be happy. You want to be satisfied. You, you're drawn to beauty, and yet you're still missing something. You've tried all kinds of things. You've tried experiencing everything under the sun, and you're still empty. That's because the one that, the only one that can satisfy those longings is waiting for you to invite Him into your heart and invite him into your life and to let him begin to redeem and restore and heal you and bring you back into the, the only uh, thing that will ever truly satisfy, and that is a personal relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. So can I pray with you right now? And we're going to have on the screen simply the word Jesus and a number that you can call. But if you're going to pray with me right now, we want to connect with you. And we want to give you an opportunity right now to let the Lord of beauty come into your life and to beautify your life, to wash away the sin and the dirt and the filth, and to bring you into right standing with Him. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are beauty, that you define what is good and you define what is true. Lord, I ask you now to forgive me for my sin. Jesus, come into my heart right now. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sin, Lord, and be my King. Come and reign, Lord Jesus, in my life. And Jesus, make all things new inside of me. I thank you right now that you're beginning that process by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, thank you. praying that prayer with me today. And I want to encourage our church family to pause right now. You know, last week after the sermon, I gathered our family together there in the living room, around the TV, and we just started processing about what it meant for us as Christians to bring justice to a broken and fallen world. Why don't you do that right now? Stay where you're at and begin to talk about beauty. Begin to talk about some of these principles that I've just highlighted and begin to ask this question. You know, how can we Uh, begin to bring beauty to our family, to our church family, to our neighborhood, to the nations of the world? What is it that we can do? What is our unique contribution to bringing beauty to this planet? And do me one other favor. Will you pause today? And will you pray for those in leadership over our country? Pray for our president, our vice president. Pray for Congress. Uh, Pray for our governor here in this state. Pray for a myriad of governors across this nation who are seeking the wisdom of God to do what's right in this difficult hour. And let's do this. Let's take the authority that we have in Jesus and curse this virus and pray that God would use these circumstances to bring about his purposes, which are always true which are always good, and which always have beautiful results. That's the good news that Jesus Christ reigns. Take some time now. Let's pray together. Have an amazing week.